Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You're genetically encoded with this mechanism. If you're not using it, you're not inhabiting or living in your human form with all its abilities. And so if we're not doing that, we're going to stay an anxious, depressed, dissociated species. It's that simple. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. In last week's episode with Bessel van der Kolk, the author of the wildly successful book, The Body Keeps the Score, we spoke about the best ways to deal with trauma, stress and tension. And Bessel said the key is what's known as bottom-up or somatic therapies, body-based therapies. And that's what this conversation is all about because tension release exercises are the best way that I've found to release stress and tension and even trauma from the body and its nervous system. Now, I recorded this conversation with David Baselli, who is the creator of TRE, after he'd guided me through a really powerful TRE session, which we filmed and which you can watch on my YouTube channel right now or even better after listening to this conversation. The link is in my bio. So really worth checking this video out. And it may even look quite alarming to you, but it definitely shows how powerful TRE can be. It is a simple technique, really, that you can learn to do on your own at home. And it's a way to reconnect to the innate 
trembling mechanism that the body has which discharges stress and which all mammals have in common. Uh, the difference, though, with humans is that as we get a bit older, 8, 9, 10, around that age, the ego develops and it overrides our natural ability to tremble, our natural trembling mechanism, because it doesn't want us to be perceived by others as weak. And the result is that tension gets trapped in the body, leading to potentially a raft of physical and mental knock-on effects. So this episode with David Berselli is all about what TRE is, how we created it, why it's important, why its essence is getting out of your own way, everything you really need to know about TRE. As I said, we recorded this after we had he had guided me through a TRE session, which we filmed, which you can go and watch on my YouTube channel. The link's in the bio. And as I've already said, so worth watching because once you've listened to this conversation, you'll be able to go and watch and see very clearly just how powerful this can be. So definitely do that. But first, here is David Burselli. He's a really lovely guy. And I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. David Burselli, it is an absolute delight to have you on the podcast. It's lovely to see you. How are you? Thank you, Simon, for inviting me. I'm doing wonderful. Good to see you. You are an international expert in trauma intervention and conflict resolution, David. I know you've spent decades, you lived in countries all over the world providing trauma relief workshops and designing recovery programs for international organizations. You've lived in places like and worked in places like Israel, Palestine, Sudan, Yemen, Egypt, Lebanon. And your work in all these places, where there's you know a lot of conflict, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, led you to creating TRE. Now, before I ask you what it is, I just want to say, I recently interviewed Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, wrote the incredible book, the just hugely popular book, The Body Keeps the Score. And he talks about how widespread trauma is and how it's been linked to things like autoimmune disease. And as we know, stress is on the rise, burnout is on the rise. It's such a huge problem these days, all those things. And he talks in the book about three ways to treat trauma. Medicinal, top down, bottom up. Medicinal being obviously things like antidepressants, which are hugely common. Top down being talking therapies and bottom up being somatic body-based therapies. And I personally haven't come across anything that I think is as simple and as powerful an intervention in that somatic body-based category. So I've got to start by saying, um, you know, how did you find TRE? Because it, it's, it's, it's inspired. It feels like it's come from a place of true inspiration. Well, it comes from a place of experience because before TRE, I was a clinical social worker and that was uh, my training was from top down. Um, but then I went and I lived in these countries that were experiencing war or political violence. And there are two observations that I made. Uh, well, three. The first one, which shattered me, was that clinical therapy didn't work. And so that's all I had to offer. And so now that blew up everything. But there was a lesson in that, I think. Somehow when our paradigm or our mindset is broken, as much as we don't like it, and that may be painful times, we actually see differently as a result of it because we're no longer seeing with the filter that we thought was fine. So when my paradigm broke, I didn't see with that filter anymore. And so I saw two things that were essential for developing TRE. The first one 
when I was in several bombings was the remarkable visual experience of a whole group of people as soon as we hear the the mortar shell going across or something like that and it hits the ground everybody ducks you know we go into a fetal response well we've seen that a million times and everybody knows what i mean when i say that but to visually see that every one of us did it exactly the same way exactly the same time and with no cognition it was an instinct response and that was really invaluable because i thought well the body knows already how to protect itself in danger. It's already got it figured out. It's the ego that's confused, but not the organism in which the ego is residing. So then my focus came to the organism, the human body. And I thought, if it knows how to create the fetal response, it must know how to come out of it, or we'd end up living in the fetal response our whole life. And so I thought, well, what's the way that it comes out of that? That caused me to go to my second experience when I was in a bomb shelter and I had these two children sitting on my lap and the bombing was very terrifying, of course. And I had my hands on the backs of these kids, just holding them to make them feel secure. And I could feel in my hands how these children were just tremoring inside, deeply tremoring. We would say it was like they were shivering because it was cold, but it was very hot in the bomb shelter. I was amazed at how strongly their little bodies were shivering. So then when I looked around the bomb shelter, I saw that all of the little kids were shaking like that, tremoring, and we're all familiar with that. We all know that either through experience or some watching somebody else do it. But when they became like 11, 12, and 13, and they started going into teenage years, I could see that their bodies still wanted to tremor, but they were trying to hold it and stop it from tremoring. Then when I looked at the adults, none of them were tremoring. So after the bombing was over, we came out. I asked them, I said, do you ever tremor the way the children do? And they said, no, we don't tremor like that because we don't want them to think we are afraid. And that was the light bulb that went off. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm seeing one more time a living organism that actually knows how not only to protect itself in the fetal response, but how to tremor itself back out of the fetal response. And we miss that. When people tremor, we say they're weak, they're vulnerable, they're insecure, they're nervous. We have no positive paradigm for the human organism tremoring. And it's sort of like crying, Simon. When you're two years old and you hurt your knee, you cry. When you're 11 years old, you might not cry anymore. By the time you're an adult, you can break your knee and you won't cry. We actually train ourselves out of the very pulsating mechanism, which is genetically encoded in us to take us out of that fetal response and bring us back into a safe, healthy relaxation again. That's why the level of stress, tension and trauma has increased so much on this planet. We're not using the very mechanism that the human organism has to get us out of this state. Yeah. So just to recap a couple of things you said, though, you know, we are all familiar with shaking. I've bought both of your books and you talked about how familiar we are with the trembling mechanism. It reminded me of a, an exam I was doing at university and I was going in and I hadn't slept well the night before. In fact, it was the night my insomnia started, which I struggled with for a few years. And 
as I was heading in, a girl who I was friends with said, oh, your hands are shaking. And I didn't know they were shaking, but my hands were shaking. So obviously that was an anxiety. And then the other thing that came to mind as well is being at weddings and people having to get up to give a best man speech. And we know how public speaking can make people feel so tense. And you'll see someone holding their speech and the paper's going. And like you say, I think there's a certain shame around it because when someone notices that their hands are shaking, their speech is shaking, they will put it on the table because they don't want anyone to see. And I've heard you talk about that the kids do it naturally. And then there's a sort of a sweet spot age where people start to become more self-conscious and try and override this natural mechanism. Yeah, I think it's that age because at that age, just um, genetically, we're trying to learn how to control the body. See, so coming out of childhood. But that is our problem. We over control it and then we take out all the autonomic responses and we train children, even in school, sit down, shut up, be quiet, don't yell, don't get angry. So we really force this intense control over the human body. And what it did was it took out those components in the human organism that should not be controlled. We shouldn't control crying. We should be able to cry freely because crying is nothing but a raise in adrenaline and the body begins to discharge. The tremoring in the body is the same thing. The adrenaline increases. The nervous system says, well, I can't handle this. Let me shake myself so I can discharge it and calm down. So our body actually genetically encoded knows how to make it through life, through stresses and traumas, and then how to restore itself back but we've taken away all the restorative mechanisms. I think that's particularly pronounced in, I don't want to speak for America, but certainly here in the UK, you know, we are a very buttoned up people. And like you said, at school, you're told to sit still, sit up straight, pay attention. And I actually noticed as well, after having done a few sessions of TRE and really enjoyed that sort of feeling of fluidity in in the body, I went to the gym and I noticed there's obviously this real phenomenon at the moment of people lifting weights to make themselves muscly. And and it sort of occurred to me that people are even there. They're sort of hardening their shell even further, aren't they? That's exactly. Well, because we have the image that strong, which means hard, dense in many different ways, is how we treat the body. But that's why we have so many professionals who have trained themselves to control the structure of the human organism, and they burn it out by the age of 30. I work with a lot of military, same thing. I work with, you know, Marines and Navy SEALs and Army Rangers and this tough crowd. And you have to basically beat on them to actually get inside the structure to let go of control. Now, they love it when it happens, but they can't believe it. And so even like CrossFit, as an example, all these exercise people, I see how tight and controlled, that's a big problem. That's not just tightness, but learning how to control the body. Where's the pulsation at? And even Bessel van der Kolk would say, we've got to pulsate the human organism. It's got to be able to contract and it's got to be able to release that contraction. That's life living in a human body. If it gets stuck in contraction or gets stuck in just release, you're not living life. You mentioned crying before. And like you said, we so typically, and particularly men, 
really train ourselves out of that until perhaps it's too late. And, you know, there are times now where I, I wish I could cry, but I, I kind of don't know how to get into that response, that automatic response. The, the defense mechanism is so deep. That is so true to men all over the world. I have men come to me and say, I want to cry, but I can't. That's saying something about the organism, not about their desire or their consciousness even. And so then my question is, we've got to figure out how to get that organism to pulsate because crying is nothing but diaphragmatic pulsation. See, and it's just moving the rib cage and the intercostal muscles. You have a, you have a child at home. This is a trick I did with military all the time. How old is your child? She's eight. Oh, it's a little bit too old. That's right. We've got another one on the way, David. So it won't be long till we've got another one. Okay, right. When you get the one on the way, usually around two years old, they're heavy enough that I always tell these soldiers, have your child sit on your chest. And then what you do is you breathe your air all the ways out and then all the ways back in again with that pressure on it. And you're starting to pulsate and force the diaphragmatic movement to uh, real tightness and real expansion. And then you do TRE and you're, you'll be able to cry again and laugh. Okay, I can't wait. I'll let you know about that, David. I don't want to rush the first two years, but that's something to look forward to. And you talked about activating the tremors. And, and I think this is the amazing thing about TRE. So you do these sequences and then the body starts trembling all by itself. So whilst I wouldn't know right now how to start crying uh, even when I want to necessarily there is now a mechanism to get the body trembling when we first exchanged emails you had a look on my website when I said about getting out of your own way and getting out of your own way that's the epitome of, of TRE isn't it yeah because remember if we're going to do from bottom up which you talked about earlier that means we have to find the autonomic mechanism in the human body that we're genetically encoded with and they are designed to keep us healthy, okay? And so the tremoring mechanism is one of them, but it's been lost in history, if you will. And so I'm just trying to say to everybody, wait, we have it in us. Let's activate it and see how it leads us and what benefit can we get out of it. And when you say it's lost in history, do you think that is because of sort of the rise of, the egoic nature of man, how the ego has taken control right across the globe. It's such a broad phenomenon that we've lost this way to release stress and get back into regulation. Right. Many years, sort of prior to the Industrial Revolution even, what happened was that all, body, all health um, remedies and behaviors were from the earth. So our grandmothers or great-grandmothers, they used plants and they didn't go to doctors in a sense. They just did what they knew was right. And each culture knew that. And they also had vibration and tremoring. They thought it was actually normal and healthy. There were some um, tribes in Africa that still believed that this is very healthy. But as we came more and more into our head, we came more and more out of our body so that now our health, our ideas from health come from the head to the body, different than from the body to the head. So we did make a transition in the evolution of humanity out of the body into the head. And then we caused a great big split between the head and the body. And obviously, if we look to the animal kingdom, you know, there are so many examples of this. So take the example of gazelles or any of these animals that are 
hunted by lions and other big cats, their lives are on the line every day. And can you just talk to me a little bit about their own trauma response or the equivalent that animals have that sort of show that this is widespread, this is really common and keeps them in homeostasis? Yeah, there's a book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, written a long time ago. It talks about that specifically. It says two things. Animals in the wild do not get post-traumatic stress. Animals that are held in captivity do. And that's because they have no escape route. Now, that's interesting because we can see a dog. You can see dogs, lots of videos of dogs tremoring because they were abused. They had no escape route. And so the tremoring is this desperate discharge of anxiety. But animals in the wild, and there are videos of this also on YouTube, you can watch a, 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 a gazelle being chased by a tiger, as an example. It might even get caught. And when it gets caught, it goes into what's called uh, a freeze or uh, it plays dead, basically. So it goes into this freeze or numbness. Our bodies can do exactly the same thing. But once, the, let's say, the lion leaves and the gazelle is left there alone, it will start to automatically start to tremor because they don't have an ego to interrupt it or interfere with it. And so they organically start to tremor because it's just a, uh, a neurophysiological reaction in, the, in their body. And they'll lay there tremoring, even if it's half an hour. And then when the, when the tremor is done, they get up and they just run away like nothing happened. What's fascinating about that is we actually can do that. We're genetically encoded in exactly the same way. We just have an ego that interferes with it. But other than that, if you were in a car accident, as an example, and you, got, you weren't hurt, but you got out of the car to give the policeman or, um, your, your driver's license, as an example, you might find your hand shaking. Your body automatically starts that shaking mechanism. But what's the first thing we do? Oh, my God, I'm so nervous. I need to go home and have a drink to calm myself down. Well, the tremor mechanism is calming you down and having a drink interferes with it. And then the discharge is never complete. And that's what post-traumatic stress is. We never completed the discharge after the traumatic event. And yet this tremor mechanism is right here for us to be able to do that. And um, when we see other people tremble or shake, let's say they're shaking with crying, I imagine a very typical response will be to go over and go, oh, they need to be cuddled. They need to be held. But actually, what you want to be doing is allowing people to really go through this discharge. Yeah. Well, what you want to do, you can still hold it, but you want to say, oh, this tremoring is wonderful. Keep doing it. Your body's reducing your stress. So you want to encourage the tremor mechanism. Most people hug them to try to stop it. See, and all you want to do is say, no, this is amazing. Your body's getting rid of the stress. I'm going to stay with you until it's done. And then all of a sudden they have this new consciousness that they tremor uh, until it's finished because they were supported in doing that and understood. Because even when you're saying that, Simon, you're speaking to a part of their brain that knows that's right. They might not know it from their ego, but the physiology or the biology hears, oh, this person knows me as an organism. This happens very common, Simon, in um, birthing process. Many women tremor before, during, or after the birthing process, and it's still completely misunderstood by our medical system. They actually try to stop it, or a lot of women are, they have blankets put on them and told that they're cold, but they're not cold. They know it. 
that nobody even understands why they're tremoring. And yet this is such an organic response of a human birthing a child. Yeah. And like you say, if you look at the animal kingdom, it's so obvious that this is part of so many different species. So why would we be any different? And then just returning to the fetal position then. So we get into this fetal position. And if we then don't do the um, opposite of that and release, what are the problems of being stuck in that fetal position? Because as well, I think of old people that slightly crouch shuffle people who are depressed or sad obviously we sort of slump down but also now as well with the amount of desk jobs you know I know I've been doing a lot of writing in the last few years and so I've become a lot more crouched I've sort of trained my body to be in a bit more of a fetal position does that play merry havoc at all with the fight and flight system I mean what's going on there if we spend too much time in that fetal position as it were that's exactly what it does it keeps the body in a fetal response physiologically, okay? And so that's why when you're at your desk after a while, you'll find yourself starting to stretch back like this, where you desperately need to do it. You might think it's just stretching, but your body's trying to come out of the fetal response because it's too much. That's what'll create gastrointestinal problems, back pains, neck pains, and shoulder pains, all because the structure is in the wrong position for a long period of time. It's got to be flexible, see? And so, yes, sitting at a desk is causing a high rise in either anxiety or depression. Depression is simply shutting off the system. Anxiety is the system is on, but it can't do anything. So it's just highly charged, but there's never an adequate discharge. So doing something like TRE then could have a profound impact on the rates of anxiety and rates of depression and stress. Yes, it does have a profound impact. Now, I don't have enough research to really get the medical field to embrace it yet. I'm still working on research, but there's no question. You ask people experientially, what did this do for you? Relaxation is the first thing. Gets rid of anxiety, helps them sleep at night, gets rid of back pain, neck pains, gastrointestinal problems, exactly everything we're talking about the human organism knows how to restore itself. Yeah. I, I am intrigued because obviously you've, you witnessed people getting into the fetal position in these terrifying scenarios where bombs are going off and then being in the bomb shelter with the children and they're trembling and then asking the adults. But where did the inspiration to actually put together the sequence? Because there's still quite a, um, you know, it's a long way to go to actually create what you've created in terms of being able to activate the tremor response. But how did you bridge that gap? Well, then I came back to the States and I have a friend who's a neurosurgeon and he's very open and broad-minded. So I showed him TRE and he was amazed by this. He helped me articulate that. And I said, all right, now this is what we need to do. We have to find a series of exercises that can access this tremor mechanism that people can do by themselves, not complicated, if they have physical limitations, they're still able to do it and that it can be sort of self-directed as well. So simplicity and ease was what we were looking for. So I found like the most simple, easy ways to move the human organism to activate the tremor mechanism. Then I put those together in a book. <laughs> yes. And I have that book. So you talk about simplicity and ease because, you know, obviously so many uh, interventions 
are very pricey or medicinal or, you know, there are all these different types of things. So you intentionally went and started with the view of, I want to make this as, as easy for anyone to do as possible. That was actually your mission from the get-go. Yeah, because see, I started this with the insight when I was living in countries at war. So when you have countries at war, you have millions of traumatized people. And I worked in natural disasters. So I needed something that could be replicated by tens of thousands of people or an entire village that I was working with as as an example in Sudan or Kenya or Uganda. So it could not work if it had to be directed by a clinical therapist and you could only do it one-on-one. You have to work with large populations and you have to make it easy and simple to be replicated by a mother who has an eighth grade degree education and four children. That woman needs to know how to help her and she has to be able to help her children reduce their stress levels as well as her own. And just in terms of stress, can you just talk a little bit about the the hormones involved? Adrenaline, cortisol, those kind of things. The problem of having too much adrenaline and cortisol, you know, linked to the fetal position and then what TRE does in relation to them. Yeah, you're right. You have adrenaline and cortisol are the two main ones. But once they elevate, then what they do is they disproportionately cause changes in the lymphatic system, as an example, or the endocrine system. So the entire organism works as one pulsating alive organism. You can't change one chemical so radically and not recognize that every other chemical is going to react to that and every other system in the body is going to react to that. So that's our big problem is we're just raising and lowering. That's what medication does too. Sometimes it drops things down too much, raises things up too high. Everything then becomes imbalanced as a result of that. So adrenaline, which is the pump that you get real quick so you can duck, cortisol is the long-term chemical in the body that keeps you at that hyper-aroused state, see? And so what we need to do is if you're at the hyper-aroused state, you slowly have to burn that off, see, to get that out of the system. There's never just, oh, one time I'll do it um, and then it'll be done. No, one time you do it, you might feel the results of the chemical reaction lowering, but you're going to have to keep doing it because what you've done is you've retrained your system to keep activating this high. See, if you've lived this high with adrenaline and cortisol and it starts to lower, it feels like depression. So what will people do? Self-stimulate to come back up here again. What happened is their baseline, which was here, got raised as a result of their lifestyle So now their baseline is up here. If we got everybody to go back to a normal baseline, it would look like the whole world was depressed. But it's not depression. It's simply calmness. But people who become calm get frightened of that if they're used to living with high stimulation. And we're all so used to living with high stimulation, aren't we? I think if, you know, you've got... We're addicted to it. We are, right? And, you know, the job family obviously but now we've got everyone's so contactable with whatsapp and email going weekends don't exist in the same way right and the rolling news cycle actually this year i'm restricting the amount of news i watch and i stay across things but as a journalist you know i really got hooked on it for a long time it's a sort of rabbit hole i can get down and and even just stepping away from that you realize goodness me yeah 
we're just firing ourselves up so much and keeping ourselves in this in this state of high tension. It's no wonder, I think, that we see the results of that in the way people behave in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, why do you think we run off to places like Spain or the Galapagos Islands or someplace like that to live by the ocean for one week and just hear the waves and block out everything? We have a desperate desire to go like that. But look at how many people after when they're on vacation after 10 days, well, well, I got to get back. We can't take it much longer, see? And so it's a really strange place to be in, in our Western world, at least, or what we call developed nations. We can only take so much quiet and ease, and then we want re-stimulation again. That's why we go, you know, kite flying and all that sort of stuff. We got to put that adrenaline back into our system. And when we do, we say, wow, that was a great vacation. Well, all you were doing was playing with your adrenal response, basically. And so we are stuck in our culture. But this is a great thing, Simon. I, you know, I like you have to watch the news because I want to stay informed. But I listen to the news consciously feeling what did it just do to my body? Because different news reports will do different things to me. And then that helps me regulate what can I listen to right now and what can't I listen to? That's really interesting. And that holiday example that you just gave where after 10 days, people are itching to get back to the office, back on the treadmill. Do you think culturally we're addicted to stress then? Oh, completely. A hundred percent. Yes. But the way we do it in our countries, at least I know in England and the U.S., we love having a beer at the end of the day or a glass of wine or whatever. So we stress ourselves out all day long and we can't wait to go have that beer, see, to, to reduce the stress level. And that feels good to us, like we completed the cycle. But the beer doesn't really reduce the stress level. It anesthetizes it temporarily, but it doesn't get rid of it. Okay, there's two things I want to say just at this point. There's that famous Blaise Pascal quote that all of humanity's problems could be solved if man could sit in a room quietly on his own. And that is something we can't do. And I remember reading yes. an article at the beginning of this year, and it had like 10 psychologists giving their one thing I do every day. And what was notable to me was every single one of them was like a doing thing. I stand on one leg, I do a run, I do this, I do that. No one was talking about just being, you know, just just sitting still and doing nothing. We've really lost that capacity. You know, I'm very conscious of it when I get on a train and you're waiting for the train to come and everyone's on their phones or even on an aeroplane, you know, when you've pulled into land, there's no way to get into the departure lounge or the arrival lounge and people are on their feet. They can't sit still. I think that's really notable. And then just in terms of my own experience. So I found TRE kind of by chance. And then, like I said, I, I bought both your books very quickly. And I started doing it. And what I noticed was I felt like my my internal system, my torso and in, in my legs and everything, it felt clear. And I had this free flow of energy. And I was going out for a drink with some friends. And I really didn't want to anesthetize it at all. You know, I was like, I don't want to drink. You know, I don't want to distract from it. And it actually gave me an insight into how, for example, my cats can sit on a bed and stare at a wall perfectly contentedly because it, it felt like it gave me back this access to these to a peaceful inner state, which I just wasn't hugely familiar with, despite, you know, meditating for years and all that kind of stuff. It was a, a really beautiful experience of just purely being, you know. <laughs> I have to laugh because that's a really 
tough one for me because I do that a lot. And then my sister or brother or somebody called me up and said, what'd you do today? And I just, well, I just sat. You just sat around? Yeah, I just sat. And it's so funny how hard it is for people to absorb that was really valuable and important. And I loved it. I was in a state of just complete happiness and, and peacefulness. But it's so hard to get a world of people to understand that that's an, an invaluable contribution, I believe, not only to my own life, but to humanity that's having difficulty doing that. I was in a state of just complete happiness and, and peacefulness, but it's so hard to get a world of people to understand that that's an, an invaluable contribution, I believe, not only to my own life, but to humanity that's having difficulty doing that. Yeah, for sure. And when we recorded the video of the TRE session earlier, you know, I think you do emanate peace. And we're a bit out of balance between doing and being, aren't we? And what you're talking about there is the joy of being, where you don't need any stimulation. That's kind of the ultimate place to get to, where you don't, you don't need anything to feel perfectly peaceful and happy and nice. I really believe we don't need anything. Like if you've got, you know, the comfort, what we call creature comforts, and, and you can just sit in creature comforts. There are so many times in our lives where we could just sit and do nothing because there's nothing to do. Even if you have kids, if they're sleeping and, you know, you and your wife are just resting or something, just kind of hang out there. But we'll find something to fill that time with, see, rather than recognizing leaving that time not filled with something is extremely invaluable. And so what happened with me is that as I did TRE more and more for myself personally, but like you said, watching you go through TRE, I have a tremendous amount of patience because I'm moving at the speed of the tissue of the body, which is never the speed of the ego. And that just sort of slows you down. And half of my time is trying to get the client to be patient and just wait. It's going to happen. Just relax and wait for it. And we saw that at least four or five times with you. You changed a position and I said, no, just wait. Let your body respond to that. And so I, I really have to keep patience um, sort of in a relaxed state to say, no, just be patient with yourself. You're fine. Now, before we get on to some of the mechanics of it, David, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, some of the indigenous cultures who incorporate trembling into, into their ceremonies? They often think of it in spiritual terms. But yeah, can you just talk about how some of the more ancient cultures still are in touch with this and, and really value it. Can you give me a second? I want to read a quote for you that, that sure. um, completely embodies what you just asked. Because it's a wonderful quote. This, sure thing. This comes from a, um, a tribe in Africa. Okay, here it is. Hit me, David. I'm ready when you are. Okay. All right. So this is a book by... Bradford Keeney called Shaking Medicine. And so this is a tribe that he was working with in Africa. And it says, when the shake is truly valued and protected, it will keep the spirit alive. Through shaking, the tight grip of any totalizing ideology is loosened. 
Shaking is a medicine to help prevent the hardening of conceptual categories. It keeps our vessel open for the spirit to flow through. Shaking helps keep us a hollow tube and an empty vessel. It is not only our bodies that have to be shaken. Our words and meanings must also shake. When the spirit moves through us, everything will shake. Our understandings, actions, and experiences. We must shake in order to set free our mind, body, and soul. Beautiful. That's a beautiful explanation because although this is a tribe in Africa that does that, I have seen this in many different communities in Africa that I worked with where they have this sense. I've even been to some ceremonies, actually, spiritual ceremonies, where obviously they dance and chant. You can find this all over Latin America and Asia as well. They dance and they chant, and they actually move the structure, usually around a fire at nighttime, and somebody or many people will fall down tremoring. Now, it's interesting, in ancient cultures, the tremoring was either considered an evil demon coming out of the person or a good spirit coming into the person. But either way, it was a... connection to another world. And so they were open to this. So even when I was in Africa, I watched people tremor there very freely, very openly. This wasn't even unfamiliar to them. The way we did it was unfamiliar. And even when I was in China, I worked at the National Institute for Chinese Medicine. And I was teaching these medical doctors there. And one of them was brilliant. He just sat up and he said, How interesting. You found a Western way to move chi. Wow. That was his explanation. So they were familiar with the tremors that in most cultures are. It's our what we call industrialized nation that has frozen itself and dissociated itself from the body. Wow. There's one guy who I quite like, Eckhart Tolle, and he talks about the value of feeling the inner energy body which is that cheese. So actually you're helping keep that moving and get us more in touch with stop being dissociated from that life force. Well, what I actually think this tremor mechanism is, is it's the dialogue between, in the human organism, between energy and matter. See, we are energy. We already know that physics proves that. We are energy and we're in a material form. And when you start to tremor, they start talking to each other. Energy and matter simply are in negotiation of how do we balance ourselves in this living organism. Wowzers. Can you just talk to me a bit about the psoas muscle, P-S-O-A-S? So this is around the hips and psoas muscles. Some people call it the fight or flight muscle. And also people talk about there's a powerful connection between emotions and, and your hips, for example, which obviously are very closely related to the psoas. So yeah, for people who are unfamiliar, can you just quickly explain that and what role it plays and, and the importance of getting it moving? Yeah, the psoas muscle actually connects at the top of the leg. So the femur bone is the bone that goes in the top of the leg into the hips. So the psoas muscle actually connects at the top of the leg. It goes through the pelvis and connects on five, all five lumbar vertebrae. And that is the muscle that squeezes us forward into the fetal response. See, and so that muscle, when it's contracted in prolonged contraction, like you're talking about sitting at your desk a lot, 
you will feel lower back pain, but the pain is actually coming from the front of the spine because that's where the psoas muscle is located. It's not in the back of the spine. That's where the pain shows up, but what's contracted is the psoas muscle, so it's pulling the vertebrae together. That's why when people get up, what do they do? They push their hips forward, they arch their back, they stretch out a little bit. They're trying to take that psoas muscle and stretch it back out again so it's relaxed. Right. So let's just quickly then talk about the sequence. We've recorded a little video about this. So in terms of the full sequence in your book, it starts with you sort of rocking on your ankles and then you move up to your calves and then you move up to your quads and you sort of go into this bow before getting on your back. Once you've sort of tired everything out, you say to a seven out of 10, and then you get on your back, put your feet together, let your legs fall apart, lift your bottom off the floor for a bit, and then gradually you can move your legs close together. And then the trembling just starts all on its own. Those preliminary exercises, are they grounding or is it just about fatiguing to be able to set up the tremor response? It's a little bit of both. I developed that sequence of exercises, again, from my lived experiences. I worked with what were called at the time the lost boys of Sudan, which were young men who had to run for days and months even to get away from the enemy so they wouldn't be captured, etc. So what I found out, which fascinated me, is they, their freeze response was in their legs, their ankles, and their feet. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if a lot of traumatized people, particularly those who live in war, have to dissociate and they have to pull all their energy up and they actually lose their connection with the ground. So I started to do it as a way of grounding. And when you're working with people who have experienced either war, political violence or natural disasters, they might have physical injuries or limitations. So I needed to see, all right, what can their body do and not do? It was visually for me, actually, to see how can I get them into their legs, into their feet? Are they, do they feel comfortable doing that before we go up into the pelvis, which would be higher up in the body? And so I did it as a preliminary check to make sure they were in their bodies and that they were comfortable doing exercises. And it sort of helped develop a relationship So there was a lot involved with why I put a series of seven types of movements in the routine. For many people, you can get the exercise just by doing the last one where you lay on your back with the knees open, the butterfly or frog position, what we call yoga. But then you pick the pelvis up. That's truly inverting the fetal response. Right. And then bring the legs together. And once it kicks in, it will suddenly start going. And then it just goes, doesn't it? It just carries on going. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point. Today, when we did it, obviously, we had a long session and you got me to do various things. And eventually, my body sort of just calmed down and stopped of its own accord. But that's the first time. Every other time I've done it, I've set a timer for, say, 15, 20 minutes. I've done it. And, you know, and then I will intentionally stop it because otherwise it feels like it could just go on and on and on ad infinitum. Well, see what I did with you, and this is a little tricky because I, you know, I have a lot of experience in this. I was observing your body and trying to see what's it really trying to do and what can it do right now, different from what it can't do. I don't want to push it anywhere. And we basically went from your feet all the way up to the back of your neck and into your jaw. And so I know that's a lot of work for your structure. And so once it sort of did all of that, it started reorganizing itself. Your body actually felt 
oh, thank God. It felt safer. And so then it just calmed down and relaxed. It was like, okay, I've done my job. Tomorrow will be another session in a different whole pattern. But today it completed itself. So I'm always looking for when I'm working with somebody to see, does the body bring itself to its own natural completion? And sometimes that could be after five minutes. Right. Sometimes it's up to an hour. Do you think there's any relationship, quick side point here, do you think there's any relationship with people talk about like kundalini energy going up the spine and a lot of people talk about it in related to awakening, for example. Is there any similarities, any crossover? Well, you see, so these are all belief systems. You know, the kundalini system, uh, chi from other parts of Asia, spiritual awakening, all those sorts of things. So they're all belief systems, but they're all belief systems around energy and something happening to me, something happening with inside of me where I become awake or alive. Well, yes, this has to be part of it. How you would articulate that, some people would say that helped me awaken my kundalini experience. Others will say it helped move chi, and some will say it moved the Holy Spirit in me. Right. Doesn't matter. I think they're all saying the same thing about something took me over. Yeah. And it was not only pleasurable internally, but it somehow connected me to something bigger than myself. And I've heard you say a lovely quote, which is, the most resilient people know how to be in control for some of the time, but they also know the value of being out of control. And that's not something we normally associate with resilience. Yeah. And that's really sad because if you think of muscles or if you're going to play a sport, you learn how to control the body to play that sport well, which is good. You want to do that. But if you don't signal to that muscle group, that, okay, the sport, the game's over, I'm going to go home now. If you don't signal that, it will go home as though the sport activity is still on. So it lives in that state, and that's how it burns itself out. Or that's why we have to drink a pint to stop it, see? But drinking the pint only anesthetizes it, and when it can feel again, it's right back in that state. So we need to signal the game's over, let go, and that's what the tremor mechanism does. Let yourself relax, all that activity and all that movement, let it all go so that you can go home and sit down on the sofa and just enjoy playing with the kids. We lost that one major component to inform the body the game is over. How valuable then do you think it would be for something like this to become more widespread, more commonly known? I mean, to me, it seems like it would just be so valuable, particularly in a culture like ours, like as we said, that is all about control, all about sitting still, all about being at your desk, all about doing, doing, doing. For something like this to become par for the course, normal, accepted, oh, there's some person trembling, well done them, you know, rather than, oh my God, that person's in trouble. What sort of difference do you think it could actually make? Well, it will make a huge difference if you think of it this way. You're genetically encoded with this mechanism. If you're not using it, you're not inhabiting or living in your human form with all its abilities. And so if we're not doing that, we're going to stay anxious, depressed, dissociated species. It's that simple. We must have it back because it's in us. It's this I try to say people, it's not a technique, it's not a gimmick, it's not a method, it's a genetically encoded mechanism. If we go down to that level, 
we would say every human person in the world needs to access it and then discover for themselves when it's valuable to use and not use. See, but uh, it's absolutely 100% necessary if we're going to inhabit the human body fully. Now, as I said to you, you know, when I discovered this, I'm a bit gung-ho. And so I went hell for leather. I mean, for someone who does, you know, see one of your videos or see one of the videos that are doing the rounds on TikTok, for someone who does find it or read one of your books or whatever, what would be your guidance in terms of just getting started, a, a, you know, a good um, amount to do and not perhaps overdo it to begin with? Well, here's the problem. I, I'm going to assume immediately everybody's already dysregulated. <laughs> See? So that means they're mostly hyper and all that sort of stuff. So I tell them what you've got to do is you've got to start with a very small amount of time. Tremor for 15 minutes, as an example, 15 or 20 minutes, because that sort of fits the general population. Okay. And that's sort of safe. Then you, you just notice what it did to you and leave it alone for a day and then do it the following day. And if you do that for about two weeks, either every other day or every third day, you should be developing stronger sensory receptor input into the brain that will help you learn your regulated amount of time. Because sometimes you could do it for an hour. And if it's getting something out of your hip, as an example, and you could say, wow, it's really working it and it's doing great. I don't want to stop. Well, you can stay there. Sometimes you do it for five minutes. You say, I'm exhausted. I don't know why. So I'm really trying to help people learn how to self-regulate rather than follow a recipe. Because that's everything that's wrong. Even in all of our, even in yoga, people have this recipe. I must do it. I have to do this. I don't feel like doing it. I'm saying sometimes that's good. I understand that. But sometimes it's not good. Don't do it. See if you can feel the organism in which you are living as it tells you when it needs whatever it needs. Now, we've spoken about top down therapy. So, you know, traditional talking therapies. And I know that you've, you know, you do that as well. And there is value in that in terms of understanding your history, in terms of understanding patterns and that kind of thing. But I've heard you talk about, for example, working with soldiers. And in many cases, they really don't want to revisit their story. And so the whole point or a benefit of this is you can you don't have to revisit your story. This is going around the ego, around the storytelling, around that narrative telling part of us and literally going straight into the nervous system. So we don't even necessarily need to know what's happened to let go. Yeah, many people don't know. So if you're living under stress or anxiety over like five years or something, there may not be some immediate event that caused the stress or anxiety. It could be over a prolonged period of time. So you have no idea, except that's how I was living. I love working with soldiers because they don't want to tell the story. And those stories are very painful. But here's what I discovered. If I can get their body to release the physiological component of the story, so you're talking about psychophysiology or neurology, if they can release the body component if the story comes out, it doesn't have the high charge anymore. The high charge is in the structure, see? So you get rid of the charge, and then they tell you this reminiscent story as though it's something in the past, different from the high charge is still in the body, and I ask about the story, they're actually telling it as though it's the present moment. That's why they get hyper-aroused telling the story. 
So I always tell soldiers, I don't want to know anything that happened to you, but I am going to watch your body. So if the soldier says, okay, great. So they lay and they start to tremor. They're not telling me any stories. We're having a good time just talking. And I'll say, I, your left hip is moving different than your right hip. Do you have any idea why? I'll say, your body's healing it right now. You don't have to tell me or anything like that. Sometimes they won't know. And then all of a sudden they'll say, oh my gosh, that was from the IED, the explosion. And I got blown up against the tank and I remember hitting my left hip. But they're not telling it as a past story that has terror and trauma in it. They're telling it as a present moment story that's about the hip. And so they're telling me why their left hip is moving differently. And I say, well, your body doesn't need that story any longer. It's apparently getting rid of it. And so it reframes that whole history into present moment where the body's healing itself. Remarkable. And I've heard you talk about the benefit of families doing it together. And I heard you say an interesting quote, which was like, if someone in the family, if someone in a family is traumatized, then everyone is traumatized, although it might not appear like that. And it got me thinking about a few things and like a difference between, say, someone might appear hyper aroused, someone might seem hypo aroused, so the opposite. But yeah, can you just talk a little bit to that phenomenon of, you know, if someone's traumatized, everyone is traumatized to a degree. And then as well, how this can be embraced by whole families. Yeah, well, if you think of it, We've already got that concept and we accept it in terms of alcoholism. If, if somebody's an alcoholic in the family, the whole family's got suffering from some sort of alcoholism, not in the sense that they drink, but they've all learned the behavioral relationship pattern around the alcoholic. That's the dysfunctional person. Well, if daddy's stressed out and every time he comes back from work, the stress is higher and higher, you can be sure all the kids and mommy learn how to live in a way that doesn't evoke daddy's stress, okay? So everybody readjusts to every relationship in the family. So if you've got both parents who are highly stressed because of financial issues or um, health problems, whatever, the children are gonna pick up on that. You can be sure of it. And so that means the whole family is developed a way to live around this situation. Well, that means the whole family needs to reduce the stress. Because what I find is that mommy or daddy may go to a therapist or they may send their child to a therapist, but they're not recognizing this is an organismic response of a family. So the whole family needs to de-stress together because you can make that playful and fun rather than therapy. And so that's what the TRE experience is. I get mommy and daddy... First of all, I get the husband and the wife to do it or um, uh, the partners to do it because I want them to know what it feels like. But then I'll do a session where I get one partner to tremor and I teach the other partner how to make interventions. Then we reverse that so that both partners have had a chance to tremor and help each other. Well, you're establishing a relationship in a completely different way. You've never watched your partner tremor like that before. And now you're asking questions. Well, why? how did that happen in your body? What if, what if the woman has given birth to children and one of the births was difficult? You're going to see the pelvis is going to tremor or even be stuck, not able to tremor. So you're actually relating in a completely different way with your partner from a body perspective. Once they know how to do it, then I have them work with their children 
to say, all of you just lay on the floor, Trevor, together. And you can laugh and joke and play because you don't have to be quiet. You can talk while you do it. And then you compare notes. Where did you tremor today? Was it different than yesterday? Oh, and get the kids to watch how daddy tremors or how mommy tremors. And it becomes a real playful event. They laugh and joke about it. And the whole time, all they're doing is calming down the anxiety of the entire family. Yeah. And you said playful and fun, which got me thinking, what is the sort of reaction that people say or or use to describe how it feels uh, typically? It's one word. And what fascinates me, it's the same word, word used all over the world. The word is weird. <laughs> this is weird. And I learned how to say weird in 18 different languages because it was the same word all over the world. So when I would translate whatever they said, how does this feel? And they would say whatever word it was, I'd look it up and it was weird. So I had to laugh because I love the word because it can't, weird could mean many different things. But what it means basically is I have no idea what to relate this to. I just don't know. And so I love that concept of this is so foreign to me. I don't have a word to express it. So it's just weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I found it. And a really, I love that. Yeah. And I found it a really enjoyable sensation when I first did it. I said to you, I felt my hips opening and I had a sensations in my legs that I, that I don't ever remember having, you know, the flow of energy from mm -hmm. literally from top to bottom. It was a really pleasant and enjoyable experience and as i said i didn't want to sort of distract from it or anesthetize it or numb it in any way for a, for a long period uh, afterwards so i'm very conscious that this is something i would love people to be to know more about so i'm grateful that it's spreading on things like tiktok and and you know there are more youtube videos out there but just can you talk a little bit about you know where people can find you know your stuff and where they can learn more about it in terms of your work and the name of your books and that kind of thing. And actually, just before you do that, David, just just answer me this. Obviously, you've been doing this a long time, but you still do this every day, right? Oh, I do twice a day. I do it in the morning when I wake up and I do it in the evening when I go to bed. Don't you understand? It's not a thing. I'm living in a human organism and it moves me to do this because it needs it. No different than I get up and get a glass of water. I move to do it, not because I'm thinking of getting a glass of water, or I think it's time that I should get a glass of water. The pulsation of my human organism moves me to tremor. Oh, I love that. That's such a fantastic way of describing it. Yeah. So the ego is not involved. It's, it's an automatic thing, like my cats licking their paws. Exactly right. I don't even think about it. I know that I do it every morning and night, but it's not that I think, okay, it's morning, I should do it. I'll wake up and just, you know, in, when you're in that half sleep, half awake state, it'll start to tremor by itself. See, then when I, when I go to bed, I just put myself in the butterfly position. I just lay down. I don't try to tremor at all, but in the butterfly position, and then I close my knees. And as you know, it just starts. It feels wonderful because it feels relaxing. And I do that for five or 10 minutes and it's over. So this process builds on itself then. It just keeps getting deeper and more profound. Yes, because the organ, this is what I think is happening. The organism is activating more and more sensory receptors throughout the body. And they're now signaling pleasure in the human body. 
different from our frozen or numb or dissociated parts of the body. Like you said, you felt things in your hip that you haven't felt ever or in your legs. Well, my question is, dear God, why not? And how long has your body been frozen or numb? And so all we did with the tremor mechanism is stimulate that organism. So it's now sending pleasure signals to the brain. And you're saying, wow, it feels great to live in this body. Well, that pleasure signaling gets stronger and stronger until you feel really alive so that even you become very refined. The minute you start to deaden or uh, intensify or tighten yourself, immediately the organism starts to tremor because it doesn't want to go in that direction. And so it does it automatically just because we're in a pulsating, alive amoeba. We're just nothing but a complex amoeba. That's all we are. And it's it's supposed (laughs) to pulsate. With an ego that gets in the way, unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. If anyone else still needs persuading, I think just thinking about it in terms of that joy of being, in terms of being able to just sit there and feel great, not feeling the need to distract yourself by reaching for your phone or numb yourself by reaching for a drink. Some people might think, I don't want that. But you know, my experience of those kind of states, it's a beautiful state to be, to not need anything to feel really happy and at peace and beautiful in the body. Yeah, and that's what it does. Once the body is satisfied, it just lets go and it's quite, quite happy in the present moment. The present moment to the body is just pure pleasure, just laying there. Of course, unless you have, you know, pain or or illnesses or stuff like that. But other than that, it just lays there. It's like, I'm happy. (laughs) Leave me alone. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. And the world could definitely do with more of that. So, David, yeah, just send people where they need to go to find out more of your stuff about your books, etc. Okay. The best thing for them to do, because the theory is lovely, but it doesn't at all help you understand the experience. Yeah. If you want short videos, go to my Instagram channel. It's just David Bursella. And so I've got like one minute videos on there that show people tremoring all different countries around the world in all different ways that their body moves. And then they sit up and they talk about what that felt like for them. So you get a visual as well as a testimonial. So that's the first one. If you like any of those videos, they're all short versions of videos I have on my YouTube channel, which is David Berselli. Those videos are about 20 minutes long or so. So you can find a video on on Instagram and then go to YouTube. Um, I also have a TikTok channel and most of the Instagram stuff, I just transferred it to TikTok. So you can find that. My TikTok name is Dr. D369, I think. Wait, I have it right here. I didn't. Okay. I didn't want to put TRE on it. Um, <laughs> let me see. TikTok. Yeah, it's Dr. D369. Dr. D369. Okay, great. Right. And then if they want to look, oh, my my website is david com. Gotcha. Now that's my personal website. And then the website, if they wanted to learn how to be trained in this or find out where there are workshops being given around the world, they would go to traumaprevention.com. And that has everything listed there. And just quickly, the names of your books. Here's one here. Trauma Releasing Exercises. So this is, this is your first one. Yes. Now, that was my, my first book. And I wrote that book. Remember, I told you. I wanted to write to eighth grade education 
simple and easily accessible. So every chapter in that book is one page. And most of them are stories with a little bit yeah. of theory. Because so, I'm not writing for the highly educated medical professionals or trauma therapists. I'm writing for the general population. So they have access to this kind of information. Yeah. All right. So this my second book. Yeah. The Revolutionary Trauma Release Process. That was book two. And then book three was Shake It Off Naturally. So those are the books. Listen, David, I just want to say, you know, I'm very grateful for your work. I'm incredibly grateful to have discovered TRE and I've taken to it like a fish to water. And I've got to say as well, it's just been a joy hanging out with you the last two, three hours. We've obviously did the filming and we had a few technical issues and you've been a, the epitome of patience. It's just been a really lovely spending time with you. And I think it's so valuable when people walk their talk and you definitely do, you know, you do give off this lovely calm energy, um, which I think speaks volumes. So just thanks so much for spending the last few hours with me. It's been a real joy. It was wonderful. I enjoyed it, Simon, too. It's nice to see you. I, I've enjoyed watching you tremor. Now, just remember our tremoring session together. We did nothing. We gently waited. We moved the body around a little bit. We were patient. But the body did everything all by itself. But it, all it took was like sort of simple, easy patience. Absolutely. Yes. It was a fantastic experience. So David, again, thank you. It's been lovely spending time with you. I hope we get to stay in touch and, you know, it'd be lovely to meet you at some point, but it's, it's really been lovely. So thanks very much. Yeah. Well, come on over the pond. You can come to the US. It's all right. We're not, we're not as wild as people think we are. Okay. It's a deal. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast with the TRE founder, David Berselli. As I said at the start, we recorded a video of David leading me through a really powerful TRE session. So you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You can see just how impactful TRE can be. And you can watch it right now on my YouTube channel. I'll link to the channel and to it in the bio so it's so worth checking out i really recommend you do that and if you have any questions about tre do get in touch drop me a message via my website simonmundy.com and while you're on my youtube channel please do like subscribe hit the bell all that jazz anyway that's it for now i would be delighted to hear from you i do think this is really powerful really important really valuable so let me know your thoughts and i'll be back again next week